Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I'd ask you this morning to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we will begin our reading in verse 1. It's good to see all of you here. I know we have quite a few out, but it's good to see you. I thank you so much for coming. And I pray for you. I hope you pray for me. I know you do. But uh, I really feel like we need to lift each other up more than ever before. We have folks that are not able to be here today. They're they're struggling. They're struggling with the virus or either they're uh, so afraid that they might get it because of other conditions that they have. And and I miss those folks. We went down a list of them this week and uh, we just pray for them and and we lift them up. And and, um, so I, I would ask you, Please pray for me, and I pray I will be praying for you as well. But we need to lift each other up. And, and somehow or another, uh, we need to, to, to come closer together, whether it's phone calls or cards or however we can do that. Um, we need each other right now more than ever. I would say this, uh, man, Wednesday night, men... Um, and of course we got a lot going on on here on Wednesday nights, but that's the part I teach. So I'm doing a commercial for that. Uh, wow. We have a great time and we've had some great crowds. Uh, I'm so glad to get together with you guys. You just don't know what it means to me. And, uh, well, we're in Ephesians five. We're learning how to better lead our homes and love our wives. And wives, we didn't get to you Wednesday. But we're working on it, okay? Uh, we, we, we're working on us. But we're getting to that part in the Scripture where we're going to learn how to love you more and care more for you. Today is Valentine's Day. Um, I, I don't even know if you uh, how much people understand about Valentine's, but Claudius II was uh, emperor of Rome, not Claudius I. That was during the time of Jesus. But somewhere in the third century, Claudius II was trying to beef up the Roman army, and he decided these married guys are too distracted. They get on the battlefield and they start thinking about her. And we don't need these married dudes in here. You know how it is. You know how it is, right, ladies? Your husband, what, does he call you five, six times a day and just tells you, look, I can't get you off my mind. I'm, all, I'm coming home early. Can't live without you. You know how it is, right? Uh, sort of. <laughs> well, back in that day, Claudius felt like married men just didn't make good soldiers. So he declared that if you were of the marriageable age and you were a young man, you couldn't get married. Well, there were some that were Christians in the empire. Of course, by then, Christianity was growing. And we are told 
that there was a bishop named Valentine. Uh, Valentine sounds like a kind of a uh, sissy name to us. You know, a levy, we think of pink candy and flowers and mess. You have to remember the word valor comes from the same word. Valentine in that day was a powerful name to have. It recognized, it, 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 it identified you as one who was brave. And Valentine was. And he got caught by Claudius II, who was because he was marrying some people that wanted to be married. They, they wanted to make sure that uh, they were right with God in their relationship with their wife. And, and so uh, they kind of slipped around and did it illegally. And Valentine was caught and Claudius II had him killed somewhere right around the middle of March, uh, February, middle of February. And, uh, so anyway, the church began to honor Valentine uh, and his martyrdom, and that's how we wound up with Valentine's Day. Now, there was a pagan holiday in Rome, and I'll just tell you this quickly, but uh, Lupercalia. Lupercalia was a pagan festival that the Romans already had during about the middle of March. I'm going to catch this rabbit. You just hang on. I'm coming back, okay? But Lupercalia was a, it, it goes all the way back to the founding of Rome. As a matter of fact, if you remember the story of a king one time, uh, I forgot, uh, Emilius, I believe was his name, but anyway, he was a king, and it's part of Roman mythology that he took the throne from his brother, and he took his brother's wife, and to make sure that she wasn't able to have children that might uh, take the throne from him one day, he had her exiled or whatever. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, the god Mars, which is a Roman god, impregnated her, and she had two twin boys, Romulus and Remus. And now you're beginning to remember some of that, right? Well, he threw them in the Tiber River. Now, I know you're thinking, Mars, yeah. People say Christianity's crazy. Have you looked around at some of the other ones? Uh, but anyway, uh, she supposedly in Roman mythology had t- these two twin boys, Romulus and Remus, and uh, they were thrown in the Tiber River to drown, and the servants found them, put them in a basket, wonder where they got that idea, and they floated down the river, and they got caught in the limbs of, uh, I believe it was a fig tree, and then it really begins to make sense. A wolf came along, a she-wolf, lupus is the word, Latin word for wolf, uh, lupercalia is part of how they got that name, but uh, the she-wolf came along and nursed them until they were adults. And these two men grew up. Now, one day, uh, Romulus built a wall, and Remus jumped over it. And Romulus felt like that Remus was uh, not being respectful of him and his wall, and so he killed him. And somewhere around uh, Planetine Mountain, there in the area of Italy where Rome was founded. There's a cave there, 
uh, where all of this supposedly took place at the foot of Planetine Mountain, and the Roman Empire was established, and that's how the Roman Empire was born. Otherwise, it would have been the Rima Empire. <laughs> but Romulus won the battle, and all, all of that's mythology. But anyway, that's when the Rome was founded, 735, I think it was, years somewhere around there uh, before Christ. And, but they would have a festival to celebrate this she-wolf that nurses these boys and all of that, and it was super bad pagan. Uh, about like you'd hear today. But it was, oh, they'd kill animals. They, it was just a sexual, just an absolute uh, incredible kind of melee. And all kinds of terrible, horrible, immoral things would happen at the festival. So anyway, the church thought, well, we're going to celebrate the martyrdom of Valentine during this time. And... Uh, some still celebrate, I don't know exactly how they go about it, but they still celebrate the little Roman pagan festival. But I say all of that to say this to you. God is going to teach us some things today about love, and, and it's incredible that here we are. We didn't get to meet last week. Um, so here we are at a passage of Scripture about how to love one another. And we're going to read this together. Beginning in verse 1 of 1 Peter 2. He says, Therefore, we're going to go back to that word in a moment, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I had originally entitled this message, uh, How to Shine in the Dark, and and, uh, that is part of it. But boy, the love part of it just really began to impress upon my heart this week, and so we switched a little bit of our focus because I I think there is an entire sermon here just dealing with this idea of loving and caring about one another. Let me say this. Jesus gave us a profound, a profound word In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he said, A new commandment I give to you. Now, you've got to know that if the disciples weren't looking him in the eye, they were now. He had their attention. I mean, all of Jewish life was built around commandments, and if there's a new one, we need to know about it. As a matter of fact, if you look at how legalism does, they started with 10 commandments and wound up with 613 by the time the New Testament opens. That's what legalism does. It just keeps branching out and redefining how to keep the original 10. But Jesus, if you'll notice the way, the direction he went, he narrowed the 10 down to just two. And that was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
So he tells his disciples twice in the Gospel of John, another time in chapter 15, but he says, a new commandment I give to you in John 13, 34, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men, this will transcend language barriers, cultural barriers. This message will get out no matter what. All men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. And I don't have to tell you, of course you probably guessed, but that word is agape every time in those two verses. It's that that kind of love that God has for us, because you think about this, to love like God has loved us is not easy. You can say it fast if you like, but think about how we have been loved. And, I, and I'll go ahead and tell you, there's no way uh, within myself, I, I know, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to love you as much as God loves you to, to that degree. He, he just, his love is incredible. Uh, it's just no way I could, I, I could ever love you like God loves you. He loves you more than anybody does and in, more than anybody will. And he'll love you longer than anybody has. I can promise you that. And, and, and if you don't feel loved by anybody on this earth, I can tell you, you are loved by God. I can promise you that. But he's wanting his disciples to know that it's just not by degree, but the very nature of how I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Godly love is complicated. Uh, it, 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 it's not easy. It, it's not something just simple to do. Because if you look at how God loves us, that agape love, it's, it's not an eros kind of love. Uh, we do get our word erotic from it, and it can be sexual attraction, but it can be all kinds of attractions. It, it can be the love you have when you see a cute puppy on Facebook, and you just go, oh, and, and oh, my Lord, and, and uh, I, I see these pictures sometimes, and I think of, uh, of and I love animals. I, I really do. Some of them I love more than others if they're, if, if they're fixed right. But, but I can just tell you, I think of some people I know, and I'm like, man, I bet you if they see this, they're going to pass out. These puppies are just too blooming cute, and Lord, they'll have to have one. But then that little puppy becomes a big, nasty, wet dog that's on the couch, and you're trying to run him out of the house or get him out of the chickens or whatever it is you're trying to do. But we are drawn to certain things like that. Agape love is, is not so easily triggered. It's, it's not drawn to us because we are cute or because we look pitiful to God or, or that there was something about us that attracted his attention. I often think of these commercials that you see on television where uh, there'll be little dogs and, and, and yeah, it touches my heart too. I, I don't like to see an animal hurt or, or, or abused or any of that, and, and, but they know it touches our hearts. And and by the way, the, the Humane Society of the United States, if you really look them up, you will find out that they're really big into showing pictures of little dogs and asking you for money, but they do not own one animal shelter in this whole entire world. They don't even do, as a matter of fact, 
uh, the best I could find, and I looked it up again this week because I knew I'd mention them in the sermon today, they spend about 1% of all the money that comes in on actually helping any animal anywhere in the world. So why do people keep giving? Because they keep putting pictures of dogs that look pitiful. Won't you help this dog for just so many dollars a day, a few cents a day, or whatever it is, you can give this dog a home and on and on and on. They know that we are suckers for erotic love, that drawn to that, that, that love that touches our hearts. If you look pitiful and, and, and all of that, boy, you can just, man, you can get all kind of, of attention and organizations like them can get all kinds of money. Look them up sometimes. They're very manipulative. But we're an easy target because sometimes that's how we love. That's, that's as deep as our love goes. We are attracted to certain things because I've thought about this before. I really believe that if we could show pictures of little babies during an abortion, I, I, I don't think we'd have abortion in this country anymore, but we can't do that. We don't want to see that. They know what would happen. I watched an old movie this week. Uh, I couldn't believe that YouTube still allowed it, but I, I clicked on it and found it. It's called Silent Scream, and it was done years ago, and yet it's hokey, and the guys, you can tell, I mean, it's nothing big time. It's, it's, it's an old, old movie but there is a doctor who aborted children for years as a matter of fact he aborted one of his own and if you can watch that movie sometimes i'm just telling you he he just gets right down about it he tells you exactly what it's like and 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 it's so tough i I promise you you will never see that you'll never see things like that on the history channel uh you will never see a special documentary on the smithsonian channel uh, about any of that, we're not going to see it because if people could see, I mean, you could just think about this. What if you tried to pass a law that said you could abort puppies, that you could just rip puppies out of the womb and kill and crush them? You know, man, the boy, you, you think we're having riots now. Man, there are people that would burn the world down over something like that. It's not that kind of love, though. Our emotions drag us around too much. But because we don't have to see certain things, we don't have to get involved with it and all of that, we can ignore it and we can move on. And our, our emotional toxicity, is it just doesn't erupt over those things because we don't have to look at them. I want to tell you, this kind of love is a different kind of love. It's a lot deeper than that. It's deeper than just feeling sorry for someone. To really care about someone the way that Jesus said, I have loved you. Because if you read the whole passage, three verses later, he looks Peter in the eye and he tells him, oh, by the way, while you're over there telling the other disciples that you would never leave me and you would never forsake me, he said, I'm going to tell you, you will deny that you even know me three times the night that I am arrested. Three verses later, see, that's not that gooey, huggy love. That's love where you're honest with people. It's love where you look at people and you say to your brothers and sisters in Christ, hey, I see an issue in your life, or I'm concerned about this, that, or the other. And, and hey, what if they're wrong? Well, if, if we could, in our churches, if we could get to the place that 
we were really open enough with each other to love each other and honestly care about each other. If someone did come to you about maybe one of your kids or, 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 or something they see in your life, what if uh, uh, another brother, and we talked about this uh, Wednesday night, but what if another brother in Christ came to you and said, hey, I saw you and your secretary out to lunch and it was just you two and you know, I don't know, man. I'm I'm just saying to you. I I I'd, I'd watch that. I I'm, I'm I'm concerned about that. I'm I'm not sure that's a good idea. If you could look back at him and say, "Hey, that wasn't my secretary. That was my sister." And then he's going to feel all stupid. But then you look at him and you go, "No, no, 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 no. I'm glad you shared that. I'm glad you cared enough to me about me to take a chance on making me mad." Because most people would hate you for that. But no, I love you for it and I appreciate it. Don't ever shut off that, that, that kind of love, friend. If you've got somebody in your life that cares enough about you to be honest with you, they love you more than they love you loving them. Boy, that's a great love. They're willing to take risks. They're willing to do things. And that's loving like Jesus loved because he loved his disciples enough that he was very honest with them. Now, let's look at our passage. It opened with the word therefore, and therefore is pointing back to verse 22, and let's take a quick look at it. In verse 22 of chapter 1, we already looked at it, but since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. That's what has to happen. I, I can love you for ulterior motives. I can love you for selfish reasons. Until I have purified my soul. He says, because in obedience to the truth, you have purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. A sincere love. You really do love each other. Fervently love one another. And love one another from the heart. Not from the eyes of what you see. And not from the mind of maybe you were touched emotionally by something. It, 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 sometimes it, it's easy to, to, to love certain people, especially if, if they get, get our emotions all revved up. We can care about things, and believe you me, Hollywood knows it, and television commercials know it, and they understand all of that quite well. But to really, truly love at the level that God loved us, that is not an easy thing. And we have to allow God to purify our souls and to help us to love each other sincerely. Three things we have to do. There are some things that we have to discard, number one. Peter's going to lay it out for us here in these three verses. He said there are some things that we must discard. The Greek word here for discard is a word that means to rip off old dirty, nasty clothes. That's the word how it was used in Greek culture. Man, nothing feels better than to come in the house after you've been working and you're sweaty and, 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 and your wife's already passed out in the kitchen because you walked by her and, and you just, boy, to get out of those old dirty, nasty clothes, to, to get a bath, to put on something clean and soft that doesn't smell like a horse, all of a sudden, boy, your life is doing so much better. You, you have to, to, to get rid of those filthy clothes. There's some things that we need to discard. British evangelist Rodney Smith once said that there are five gospel accounts, actually, Matthew, Mark, 
Luke, John, and the Christian. And he says, but the problem is most people never read the first four. But a lot of them read the fifth one. And what they see in our lives sometimes is a lot of theory, but but not a lot of supernatural living. They, they know that we, well, we got the words right. We know the, the what we're supposed to do. We've got that right, but... But sometimes we don't do it. And, and sometimes we are hypocritical. And he's going to talk about that here. But, but for us, we, we have to get rid of some things in our life. And, and he is talking to believers here. But when we get into this list, you're going to realize, man, these are serious sins. These are sins that you wouldn't think Christians would even be struggling with. But they did, and we do, and we will. They're tough. First of all, he says malice. Get rid of the malice. I, I don't think the English is going to do justice to any of, of these five things, so we'll look at them in the Greek as well. But kakia, kakion is a word that means wickedness. And, and it's kind of like the proud wickedness. There's lots of words for sin and ungodliness, but this is a debauchery. This is a... This is sort of like the festival we talked about in Rome. This is that proud kind of uh, 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 sinfulness. It's without restraint and without conscience and, and, and man alive. It, 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 it's that loud and proud kind of sin. Now, in the world, we often see it. Uh, uh, boy, some of these marches and some of these parades that they have in Washington, my goodness. I mean, you see it, the level of depravity there is absolutely off the chart. And, and, and it's incredible the things you see, and it's right in God's face. And boy, nowadays people are, they just are looking at God like he can drop dead. We don't care about that anymore. We don't care about the Bible. We don't care about right and wrong. We make it all up as we go. And we're, we're loud and we're proud about it. Pretty incredible. Now, sometimes, though, in, even in our lives, we may not be out somewhere marching with some wild get-up on. But sometimes even we as Christians are kind of proud of our sins. Well, I'll just tell you now, I'm the kind of guy that <laughs> you mess with me, I, you're going to get more than you want. I hear Christians say that. I hear him say, boy, you want to know what I think, just ask me. But have you noticed nobody ever asks you? Yes, sir, buddy, I'll just tell you how I am. Now, I'm a Christian. I, boy, when we start those conversations off, and we, we, I'll tell you, I love the Lord and all that, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. And then they give you that warning ahead of time that I'm liable to go full-blown heathen on you just in a blink of an eye. It's almost like we feel like, especially us men, that when we draw parameters like that in our life and give forewarning that we're just letting people know we're real men. I want to tell you, sometimes our ungodliness is connected with pride, and then it becomes just absolutely depraved how we are proud of the way we dishonor God. We'd never say it like that, but God would. Malice. Secondly, deceit, dolos is the word. 
for deceit. It's a word that they would use to catch with bait. It's making something look like one thing that it's really not. You know, I love to fish, and so when I buy a bass lure, I'm always hoping the bass are going to like it as much as I did. But when I throw it in the water, it looks like lunch. But then the bass comes along and thinking, there's lunch, and then all of a sudden, he's lunch. And that's the way it works, and sometimes that is the way deceit can work in our lives. It can, it can be rather subtle. Just, just really, the word dolos is just adding, like, like you add a little something uh, to something that may be good. Dr. Vance Havner used to talk about a glass full of milk with just a teaspoon of arsenic in it is mostly good. Really. I mean, for the most part, it's good. That's how we sometimes decide that there's certain things that are all right, because for the most part, it is good. But he said there's enough poison in there to kill us. And that's one of the ways that I would explain this word in the Greek text. Man, I, I, I like, I mean, I'm going to just get it all out this morning. You're going to know, boy, I, he's full bore redneck. I, I've got to where I like watching NASCAR again. Oh, yeah, I know. And people say, well, why do you care about They just take left turns. No, I watch because sometimes they take right turns, and that's when I want to be there. Uh, uh. A lot of times you can pull up behind a car and you don't touch them, but at 200 miles an hour, they call it just taking the air off of them. And they'll go back once the car in front wrecks and turns over and cuts flips and it's, it's a burning heap and all of that, and a guy gets out, and he's okay, and boy, he's just throwing his helmet at the other car when it comes by. That's why some people watch NASCAR. I, I like the sport of it myself. But after all of that happens, they'll go back and they'll look at the film, and they'll say sometimes, well, he didn't touch him. He, didn't t- he never touched him. But in a way, he did. He got his car close enough to take his other car and get the air off of it and get it wobbly, and erecting. It's the same way we do deceit. The more I studied this word, the more I realized that sometimes it, it's like we go, well, I, I didn't really touch them. I, 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 didn't really, I, I didn't really mean for that to happen or whatever. It's, it's like we try to our best to declare our innocence in some way because the way we see it, uh, it's, it's not so bad, and, and we give a lot of merit to how we see it. Well, I, I never meant for them to leave the church. I was just trying to whatever, and, and, and I, we, we can say all kinds of things. I, I, I think CNN, and I, I don't mean to interject anything political here, but CNN gave the best example of dolos that I've ever seen. A couple of weeks ago, there was someone, won't mention any names, but uh, she claimed she almost lost her life in the riot or whatever it was at the Capitol. Yeah, I know you know who she is. Then come to find out after she lived through that harrowing experience that she was nowhere even close to that building. But I remember CNN said that if she felt it was true, it was true. And I said, bingo! That is the postmodern understanding of truth. Now, I understand I can be afraid of something. I'm not questioning her fear or all of that. I probably would, but I'm not right now. 
But I can question her facts because she wasn't in the building. You can't say if I felt like it happened, it happened. You can say I felt scared, I felt afraid, I felt this or threatened or whatever. You can feel all kinds of things. But if you weren't there where it happened, it didn't happen to you. But in our world today, we feel like, well, if I feel like it happened, if I think it's true, it is. Truth has been tainted with what we think. Hypocrisy number three. Hypocrisy, hypocrisis is the word in the Greek. Two words, hupo is under, and krisis is judgment. And so the word would mean literally to judge under. And what it actually means, it points to those who were actors in plays and and this culture, and they would be under a mask. And you would wear a mask. As a matter of fact, the word hypocrite became a word of one who wears a mask. And hupo is under, so... It's passing judgment from under a mask. In other words, it is looking at other people's lives and and determining that they're wrong or they're right and, and making judgment calls, but you yourself are hiding who you really are. That's how we got our word hypocrite. Hypo is like a hypodermic needle. It goes under the skin. So hypocrite or hypocrisis is one who judges from under a mask. And, and man, I can just tell you, that's bad business. And eventually, it catches up with you. I cannot tell you how broken my heart is about Robbie Zacharias. I went to their website. I, I thought at first, I hoped that, well, it's just a, some tabloid doing its thing, but no. If you go to, is it R-Z-I-M? Go to their webpage. Read the article that their leadership wrote. I, I thought it was written very well. And he was not who we thought he was. I, I have two of his books coming that hadn't even gotten to the house yet. I'd love to tell you, well, I, I can just separate who he was from what he said. And I can't do that. I can try. And I'm not saying that everything he said was wrong. He's one of the most brilliant men that I ever saw in my life as far as intellect was concerned. But spiritually, he was not who he said he was. And man, that hurts so badly. And, and that's, that's, that's passing judgment from under a mask. He hid who he really was. And boy, that hurts the church so badly. If we could just be more honest with each other about ourselves. And, and I loved what the leadership there said at, 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 that, at the ministry, the heads of the ministry. They said, we gave him uh, too much latitude when it came to accountability. We just, we assumed that way too much. And that's no excuse. And we ask you to forgive us for it. It's sad. Hypocrisy will get you. Number four is envy. Some have said this is the last of our sins to finally die. It's the hardest one to get rid of. It, it might be. I, I, I don't know. It, it is tough. 
I, I do know this. If you look at the very Ten Commandments that God gave us, the first four of them have to do with my relationship with God. The second five have to do with my relationship with you. And the last one, number ten, has to do with my relationship with myself. Because when I begin to covet, it is because I am dissatisfied with me. It's a difference in jealousy uh, and envy. Envy is something that uh, says maybe a lot more about myself. When I envy you for being blessed or I envy you for your abilities or whatever, uh, it points to the fact that I have a tremendous dissatisfaction with myself. And when I'm not satisfied with me, when I really feel like that, that the one that, that I'm angry with is myself, when I feel like I really don't measure up and I'm completely dissatisfied with who I am and my lack of accomplishments, it's really easy for me to hate yours. And these are tough sin. It was right in the, in, in the, among the disciples. James and John made some envious enemies among the other 12 because, or the rest of the 12, because they were uh, bantering about for a special place in the kingdom of God. And, and that was a conversation that went on right up until the ascension of our Lord and Savior. Yeah, we know, God, we're equal in all of that or whatever. I'm not sure they, how they would have said that. But they, they said, we want to sit on your right hand and we want to sit on your left hand. And one gospel writer says they even got their mother to ask. You can't beat that. Even got their mother to ask Jesus, will you let my son sit on your right and on my left? And, and boy, Jesus, was he speaks such a great word to them. He said, well, if you really knew the day I die, what's going to be happening on my right and on my left, yeah, you will endure that as well. You're going to have to carry the cross before you talk about where you sit. If you want to drink from the cup at which I will drink, you can. But I am crucifying myself and I am dying and so later did both James and John. Last of all, slander. Slander. Boy, that doesn't mean you take out an ad in the paper to publicly ruin someone's life. Sometimes it can be just dropped in a hint. Have, have you ever found yourself poisoned by somebody's words? A third person comes to you and tells you something about somebody else and they don't even know if it's true. It's just something they think. It's something they feel. It's something they heard maybe or whatever. But every time you look at that person, you think about what the other person said. And then you start putting clues together. All of a sudden, you see something else. Maybe that happened in church or you read something in the paper. And all of a sudden, you're putting together a whole scenario that might not even be true. I have found myself before looking at my brothers and sisters in Christ and knowing I was thinking something. I'm not trying to think it. I'm trying to not think it. But I had been poisoned. By falsehood. You be careful when you drop little hints. Boy, I'm so sick of hearing about, well, I think we need to pray for so and so. I, I don't know if it's true or not. Well, shut up then. And let's pray for you. So that's love. Feel it? 
Oh, I don't know if it's true or not, but I think we need to pray for him. I, I heard that, you know, I don't know. And you drop that little, it's like a little packet like they drop in a gas chamber. It's deadly. And when it hits, it just permeates the whole place. Slander. We have to discard these things if we're going to love each other like God loved us. We'll move on quickly with the other two. What we must discard, secondly, what we must desire. And that's the milk of the Word of God. He talks, first of all, in verse 2, about the passion for the milk. Newborn babies long for the Word of God like newborn babies long for milk. Well, if you've ever had a baby, I can tell you right now, when they wake up and they want milk, nothing else is going to do Jocelyn won't work, a new toy won't work, singing won't work. I mean, it's, you get creative as a parent, do you not? Ride them around in the car at 3 o'clock in the morning, hoping they'll go to sleep, and here we go. we got to get them out of the house and get them, get them out of the car and get them back in the house and all of that. And oh. But I can tell you this, you're lucky if what they want is milk because milk will do it. Milk will do it. Man alive. Long for it like babies do. Don't be satisfied with anything else. I think a lot of times in our churches, instead of preaching the pure milk of the word, we have jostled and we have cuddled and we have entertained and we've shaken interesting things in front of people and we've spent money and we have created programs and we've done demographic studies and we've done all kinds of things. But we have to help people understand that if they are going to be able to love God and love each other supernaturally, they're going to have to get to where they long for one thing and one thing only, and that is the pure milk of the Word of God. Man, the passion for the Word of God. I love this, by the way, newborn babies. Some of you may have seen my post on Facebook. Brephos is the word for baby. If you go to Luke chapter 1, when Luke tells a story about how Elizabeth's unborn baby leapt in her stomach, John the Baptist, you know, he was a little pistol, right? The word there is Brephos. And in chapter 2 of Luke, when he talks about the shepherds being told by the angel, you will find a babe lying in a manger. The word there, well, is brephos. No difference in the two. And if you'd like a doctor's opinion, you're in luck. Because not only was Luke a preacher, he was also a gynecologist. He was a doctor. Man, I love that. I know it's a side note. But I'm so sick and tired of what I see going on in our world. I, I, I'm going to just take a second here and tell you this. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with knowing that the enormous amount I pay in taxes, that some of it now is going to abort children, 
in other countries. We had a law that forbade that. I'm sure they got around it, just like the Hyde Amendment and Planned Parenthood, if you know anything about that. If you don't know about it, get to know about it. The Hyde Amendment will go if it's not already gone. I can just tell you. But the Mexico City law is a law that if we supported health organizations abroad, they couldn't use our money to abort children because there are countries out there that if they test and it's not a boy, they, they kill it. It's Pharaoh throwing them in the Nile all over again. I have a real hard time knowing now that without a doubt, there is no doubt. The very money that I make here, that I pay my taxes on, is killing babies. I have a hard time with it. Man, wow. He says, secondly, have a passion for the word. He says, secondly, the purity of the word. He says, long for the pure milk of the word. Dolos was impure. Dolos was something deceitful because something had been added to it. This Greek word is adolos. It's, it's, it's got that negative, uh, uh, preventive uh, article in front of it. It means the opposite of, of something added to it. I love what Warren Wiersbe said when I read his commentary last week about this passage. He said, when I was a kid, I hated milk. He said, I didn't like the way milk tasted. And to get me to drink it, my mom would put other things in it. And she'd make it tasty so I would like it. And he used that as an illustration to talk about when it comes to preaching the Word of God, sometimes we as pastors, if we're not careful, we try to flavor the, the milk to make it acceptable and, and more suitable and, and more desirable. But, but the bad news is this. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he said, I can tell you the day will come when people will not end or you can translate that word, they will not tolerate sound doctrine. They won't tolerate it. They might blame it on personality or, or maybe they just didn't have, they had difficulty connecting with that preacher or the church or whatever. Maybe they'll say it's boring. I don't like boring sermons either. But maybe the actual problem a lot of times I suspect is that people just don't tolerate sound doctrine. You can preach things right out of the Word of God. And it can offend people and they live over that. Now, I have to tell you, I have never in 40-something years of preaching, I have never had anybody, I'd probably fall over dead. If somebody ever looked at me and said, well, we left. Pastor, I guess you've noticed we've not been there. We just couldn't tolerate sound doctrine. Boy, you'd have to, you'd have to close my mouth with something. Huh? I've never had anybody say that. Boy, when you preached on that one particular subject, you read the Word of God, and we saw it, we heard it, and all of that, and but we were more worried that, uh, about the relationship that our teenagers had with us than the relationship that they have or don't have with God. So we took our family and went somewhere else because you were offending them. I'd love for somebody just tell me that one time. I'd hug their neck and say, you go and be blessed. If you're that honest, God's going to be able to work in your life somehow or another. No, it's never that. It's never that. Always something else. And we can keep dolling up the milk. We can keep adding stuff to it to make it tasty. 
tolerable. Thirdly, the purpose of the milk is so that you may grow in respect to salvation. I'm going to say this and we'll move to our last point and close. The whole purpose of the appetite for the word is that we grow. One of the greatest tragedies and one of the most high maintenance situations that we have ongoing in most of our churches is we have people who grew old but never grew up. Never grew up. I mean, I, it's, it's incredible. If you look back on the years, and I, I look back on it, my goodness, I'm so guilty of it. I, 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 God had to help me. I needed people to like me. And I still like it pretty good. I had to really watch it. But boy, there was a time in my life I had such a deficit in my life. And I'm not using any of this as an excuse. I'm just telling you. Our, our, our lives shape who we are. And, and as a child, I was given away when I was a kid. And, and it didn't really bother me much as a kid. But then there were some other things that began to happen. And I was sort of from pillar to post. And I wound up with my grandmother uh, who finally raised me, which was a great thing. But I can just tell you, I kind of grew up feeling like I, I got to do things to make people like me. And, and, and boy, I wanted to be liked so bad. And, and I loved it when I'd hear compliments. But what I didn't realize was, boy, the, as much as I love compliments, I'm going to be just as easily taken out of the saddle when it's no longer complimentary. Oh, I take things personal. <laughs> I'd make it their fault and not mine if I could. I'm confessing it to you. I'm telling you, I had to grow up. I had to get to the place that I knew who I was in Christ. And I realized that Christ loved me and cared for me. And, and, and I can tell you, if you still have to have people's approval or, or, or if you still measure your relationships by how quickly they call you back or, or whether they waved or not or, or whether they spoke to you at church or, or something, something they said. Well, she said she liked my dress. I wonder if she's just being sarcastic. I saw the dress. She was being sarcastic. <laughs> don't go to Belk's drunk anymore <laughs> what if we could talk to each other like that I, I don't want to do that I, what I'm saying is this though, man people that are older than me oh, somebody pick them up quick jostle them give them some attention make sure that they know you liked what they said. Sad. Last of all, some things we must discard. Things we have to desire, the milk of the word. And then last of all, what we must determine. And this is the main question of it all. He says in verse 3, If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. See, tasting something excites the appetite. I know you can't tell it by looking at me, but my wife is a great cook. She is a great cook. And sometimes she'll be cooking something, and she'll head toward me with a spoonful. 
I fight her about it. I... Yeah, I'm like, is that all you brought? <laughs> oh, just a taste. Man, it's so good. And what feels great is I know there's a whole pot full of it in there on the stove. Oh, yeah, man. I love it. Man, there's nothing harder in the world. You'll, some of you will understand this illustration, okay? To be trying to eat right and trying to do right on your diet and have to pass the Sunoco station down here at the end of the road about lunchtime. That's not of God. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? They're cooking something there, man. I'd like to get just a taste of like 18 wings. <laughs> man, I can tell you something. When you've tasted the kindness of God, it sets your appetite flame for more of him. And one of our problems is, and we have to deal with this, folks, as we close today, a lot of people have never tasted his kindness. They've tasted church. They might have looked at his words some. I, I, I don't know. But until we have actually experience the kindness, the grace of God. And notice here his kindness. His kindness is what uh, energizes us and encourages us to live for him. You, you would think it would be, oh, have you ever tasted the fear of God? No, it's his kindness that leads us to do righteous things. Paul tells us that. It, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, the kindness of God. Because once you have tasted, just got a taste of the fact that the creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with you, and that he is willing to take all of those horrible, terrible things in your life that have plagued you all your life and forgive you of all of them and to give you his righteousness as a free gift of grace. Peter says, boy, when you get a little nibble of that, it makes you want to give your whole life to him. Your whole life. So before we start out trying to love each other more, and love God more, we have to have determined something. Have we really tasted his kindness? Does he really live in our heart? Have we stopped asking questions about how sinful can I be and still be saved? Have we switched over to those, I wonder if this would glorify God more if I did it this way? Or if I quit doing this over here altogether, I wonder if it would empower my testimony in a better level. I wonder if I could reach more people if I focus less on the things I own and want to own and more on who I am in Christ. When you start to ask those things, those are signs that you've tasted as kind.
Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.